Hello, everyone, and welcome to the season recap episode of The False Nines. This is the 89th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I'm your host, Zach Pantak, alongside my friend, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are we doing the day after the season has concluded? No, footy, Zach. Uh, they think it's all over. It is now footy. <laughs> nice. I like that. Yes. It is all over as it pertains to the English Premier League. We do still have a few uh, matches to wrap up in English football, the, the playoff final for the championship, and then in European football, the Champions League final coming up this weekend. Adam, I'm going to be in Europe during the Champions League final. Isn't that cultured? That is pretty cool. Are you going to the match, Zach? Yes, of course. No, I'm not going to be in the match. I will be oh. at the match. I will be in venice on saturday evening while the match is held at the parc du prince in paris france very nice you should hit up malcolm mcdonald maybe he'll watch the match with you if you lend him he, your shirt yes i am wearing a retro newcastle kit today for for people wondering um and we we made it akin to malcolm mcdonald and what he would have worn that tight the tight jersey with a nice open collar um and the big old huge magpie right on the uh right on the breast pocket interesting segue there um something came out in the news this week that newcastle were considering revamping their club crest um quick quick 30 second take on that zach it depends i guess what that means exactly like if it, they just make the magpie i kind of kind of love that although i'm a huge seahorse guy so actually that would upset me i don't want them to change it um yeah um, I, I like yeah, the newcastle yeah. crest I, I agree. I'm a big fan of the current seahorse one as well. If I were ever yeah. going to get a Newcastle tattoo, I think it would be the seahorses. Yes, I like that a lot. I I remember in elementary school, I did a like a marine biology project on seahorses, and it was just like, yeah, these these animals are these animals are cool. I mean, the guy the the male is the one who carries the children. That's pretty wild. That's right. Eddie Howe is the one that carries all of our children. Oh, very good. Eddie has a big old happy family. Um, oh, man. Yes. Well, I, an exciting end to the, the season, Adam. I would say one of the more memorable final days that I uh, I can recall um, mm -hmm. with, with all three of the kind of big talking points up for grabs, the title race, the top four race, and the relegation battle. Um, I guess to, to, to open us up, or to set the table, I guess, before we jump into EPL trivia. Um, so the way that we're going to do the pod today is, is because it's, you know, an end of season pod. We'll talk about the final day. Um, we'll have all the regular segments, EPL trivia, armchair pundits, 10 and 90. Uh, but we'll spend the majority of the time talking final day and then the end of season awards. So at the beginning of uh, every season, Adam and I give our prediction for certain aspects of awards and uh, things that will happen during the uh, Premier League season, we'll we'll go back and look at how accurate we were with our predictions, how completely off base we were with certain ones, and then if we would, uh, for two awards in particular, Young Player of the Season and Player of the Season, which have already been announced, uh, if we agree or disagree with those selections. Um, and then we'll be going into our Newcastle Awards, which are entirely subjective. Uh, there is no um, sort of objectivity to those. So uh, awards will be the main meat in the podcast today. Um, but yeah, before we get into that, Adam, uh, EPL trivia, what do you have for us today? Well, I have an exciting final day trivia for you. 
today, Zach, keeping with the theme of the pod today. Um, it's related to Stevie G. Steven Gerrard's last ever game as a player for Liverpool, surprisingly, ended in a 6-1 away defeat. To which team? Oh. No peeking, no cheating. It's a very yeah, easy one remember- to cheat on. It is an easy one. I don't cheat on the questions. I remember that. I remember this match happening because it was after the slip up and they threw or not threw the title away, but it was it was that year, right? It was it was the year that he had the slip against Chelsea, or was it the year I after? I don't that? think so. I think it was the year after that. Okay. Um Okay. Six one defeat. I can't remember off the top of my head. So this is a good question. All right. Well, we will give you a clue midway through the pod and then the answer at the end. It's an apt, or it's a, it's a very uh, relevant question as well because Steven Gerrard, who no longer plays, did have a very, very uh, relevant position with the final day that happened just yesterday uh, in that he was the manager, here he is the manager of Aston Villa, who went up against Manchester City. Manchester City had all but won the title going into the final day. All they had to do was uh, get a victory against Aston Villa or... I suppose if they drew the match, they could even still get the title with uh, Liverpool not getting a victory against Wolverhampton Wanderers. And for 65 minutes, Adam, it looked like they were about to throw it all away. It it was pretty unbelievable to watch uh, Matty Cash scoring a beautiful header in the first half and then Philippe Coutinho scoring a gorgeous goal. That first touch where he just deadened the ball, put it on his right foot. Manchester City completely out of sorts in that first half. Really just looked like a shadow of the team that we've watched play uh, nearly 50 games this entire season. Yeah, very surprising to to your point. There had been a lot of talk in advance of the game about how Steven Gerrard was desperate to have his Villa team win against Manchester City or at least take points off them so that he could essentially hand the title to Liverpool. But um, on the other side, we had the... Liverpool Wolves game, and that was far from a cakewalk either. Liverpool Definitely. continuously struggled, went behind early in that game, um, really, really struggled to kind of make their mark on it. Um, and we, you know, we we waited a while to to really see them finally take the lead later on in the game. Um, so a lot of kind of back and forth on that final day, um, and I would say, you know, surprises on on both sides there, both at at, um, at the Etihad and at Anfield as well. Definitely. I've been watching from my apartment with my uh, my roommate Noah and, and my friend Brian. We were just all laughing of like, wouldn't it be the perfect end to the season if Manchester City falls at the final game and Liverpool can't get a victory and City, like wouldn't it be the most perfectly anticlimactic thing mm-hmm. in the world for that to be the way that Manchester City wins the title is by slipping up in Liverpool, having it all in their hands and not able to do it as well. But I mean, really once... Once Manchester City scored that first goal, you, you kind of had a feeling that they were about to, to to do the three goal comeback that they ended up doing, right? Like they they got that first goal by uh, um, it was good to one, and it just it seemed as though you know, especially at home, I think that played a huge part in it being in front of the home fans that they had that momentum, they had the energy. Sterling came on, he was playing, he made a huge impact, and. Uh, yeah, in a matter of 10 minutes, Manchester City went from throwing the title away to uh, to holding the trophy in their hands. So credit to them. Yeah, I was. It's funny. I was at the uh, I was at the pub watching it at the Celtic, and um, Newcastle. We'll, we'll get into them a little bit later on. We're two nil up, so it's feeling pretty good about 
how that game was going, went 2-1 to City. City were behind 2-1. Went upstairs to kind of watch that and saw two goals in the space of about five minutes to see them take the lead and go 3-2 up. And then almost at the same time City went 3-2 up, Liverpool went 2-1 up in like in mm-hmm. their respective game. Um, and then it was a question of whether they were going to come back. But you could see just watching that Manchester City game, how flat-footed Villa looked after they conceded that first goal. Um, defensively, they kind of looked like they were switching off a little bit and had been so dominant to that point. Um, shame for Villa, but um, wow, what a wonderful final day it was just in terms of, uh, I, I think I think back to the Spurs game for Liverpool, and that's mm-hmm. actually where I think that they, they lost the Premier League this season. I think they needed to kind of win all their games, but especially their home games. And as good as Spurs have been in the in the run-in, I think that that was really the kind of the the final nail in the coffin for their for their title aspirations. I think yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, it, I mean, it provides a nice transition to you know what what happened with that final Champions League spot um, in in which it kind of a similar situation. It was very much in Tottenham Hotspur's hand going into the final day. Um, and they did not have any worries uh, bashing Norwich five nil um, to to take that uh, to take that fourth spot in the Champions League. Well, I do want to give credit to Tottenham. I mean, Antonio Conte, what he did the second half of the season with this team is pretty phenomenal. I think it's they won eight of their last eleven matches in the Premier League, completely pipping Arsenal for that fourth spot and. Um, you know, it, I was talking to my father after that game and saying, if, if you guys can sign Kulisevsky on a permanent deal from Juventus, Oof. you you know, they, they they have a front three that is right there with Liverpool. There's, you can very well make an argument that um, on that, that front three, they, you know, you could say that they're better than the Liverpool front three in certain capacities, especially with, you know, their their golden boot winner, um, Kyungman Son and Harry Kane, uh, arguably you know a bit the best one of the best strikers in Premier League history so credit to Spurs for really closing that door um and yeah Arsenal Arsenal on the other hand uh definitely a disappointing end to the season especially with how much control they had over the the, the full spot for a sustained period of time yeah I think that you, you bring up a good point on Arsenal there I think we've said this for a while now this is a team that is very much in transition there are a lot of young players coming through in that team and you know they showed a little bit of a lack of experience there Arteta certainly isn't as experienced a manager as um of course as Arteta uh, as Arteta is Conte's got a lot of experience on him there but I I, I digress. I look looking at kind of how it all panned out. I actually lost twenty dollars on this to Justin. If you're listening, I'll be Venmoing you that money soon, my friend. Um, but yeah, he backed Spurs and I backed Arsenal in the top four race. But I was feeling great about it with a few games to go, and then I think you know the Rob Holding incident um, in the Spurs game. I think that yeah. really kind of really turned the tide somewhat. And then the Newcastle game for me showed how hungry we were and how much growing up they still have to do you know despite the talent of that team on paper much more talented team than newcastle but the fight and the spirit that we showed in that game um really kind of outshone them i think arteta said it well when he said you know they they basically outplayed us in every aspect of the game absolutely yeah and it's a lot to look forward to if you're an arsenal fan with how much youth is in that team and and how good those young players have looked but yeah a, a disappointing end of the season in the sense that it, it truly was, you know, they, they, they had control over their own destiny and they, they really uh, let it slip 
there. But yeah, I'm excited to see Spurs in the prim- or in the Champions League next year. If they can, again, get Kulisevsky, if they can keep Conte, who's made a number of these kind of like cryptic statements of will he stay, will he not? Um, but it, it's all about Daniel Levy. If Daniel Levy backs Conte, Conte will stay. And I think that would be a really fun team to watch uh, going forward. Yeah, uh, I want to, before we wrap on that topic, I just want to ask the question. Um, it was a frustrating January transfer window for Spurs. They didn't really sign two loan players, didn't they? So they didn't bring any permanent signings in during that time. Um, and I think a lot of that has led to the the kind of um, reaction from Conte and that he might think about walking. What do you think happens this transfer window for Spurs? Do you think that they heavily back him in the transfer market now that they can attract the players because they're in the Champions League? Or do you think that, again, he's he's left frustrated and potentially walks? No, I, I think they will back him. I mean, part of that is just hoping that they do for the sake of entertainment. But I, I think they will because the Champions League money is is pretty significant and gets more significant every year. Uh, this is the first time that Spurs have hired a manager. Well, I guess the second time after uh, Jose Mourinho, but he's one of the, Antonio Conte is one of the most accomplished managers in world football right now. So it's, mm-hmm. if you're going to back anybody, you, you should very well back him. And you saw, you know, the potential that they have with their front. I mean, it's really the front three is doing almost everything for that team. The midfield could be overhauled. The defense should be overhauled. Um, so yeah, I think he will be backed in. And then consequently, I think he'll he'll stay at Tottenham. Okay, yeah. And then last point on this, um, Arteta, new deal, new contract, right before the Spurs game. Odd timing for that? Yes, odd timing for sure. I, I yeah, I also made a note of that when I saw that and thought that it was it was a weird, a weird move to make because there was no sort of there was no sort of rumors that he, you know, the he wasn't going to stay. And so, uh, yeah, I, timing means who knows really how much the timing means and if that affected his mindset or anybody else's mindset. But yeah, I, I thought that was a little weird. Yeah. Just, I, I didn't really get it. I don't know why with three games left, you couldn't hang on to the end of the season to announce that and just see how the rest of the games panned out, but maybe he was making big demands and they wanted to keep him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to close up, I, I guess the, the last thing that was up for grabs on the final day, who would be the third team joining Watford and Norwich going down to the championship? Um, ultimately, the only, re- really the, the result that mattered was can Burnley get anything against Newcastle United? Uh, Leeds just needed a point uh, and they were able to get all three and a dramatic victory over Brentford. Uh, that Jack Harrison winner was a, a really stellar hit. Um, although, you know, with, with the result that was happening um, uh, in Turf Moor, ultimately it, it didn't matter. It Burnley, or excuse me, uh, Leeds could have tied that match and, and stayed up. But uh, yeah, hats have to go off, in my opinion, to, to Jesse Marsh uh, taking over a team that had one of the, if not the worst defense in the Premier League this season. Uh, and writing the ship at least just enough to to get leads another year in the Premier League. Um, yeah, Adam, what are what are your thoughts on the relegation uh, trio? Yeah, I think Norwich and Watford were long gone a while ago. And to your point, Leeds and Burnley end up being the two final teams. Interesting similarities between the two teams going into that final game. Both fired midseason kind of club legends in Bielsa and Daesh. Um, and brought in relatively inexperienced managers to try and save their their skins in in that season. Um, I think 
really for me, Burnley lost it in their final two home games, losing at home to Villa, losing at home to Newcastle after a really decent run of form for Mike Jackson. I think that's where they they lost it there. And tip of the cap to Jesse Marsh. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, Leeds went the whole season pretty much without Patrick Bamford um, and still managed to stay up. And we'd always talked about how um, from an attacking standpoint, that's really the strength of Leeds. They've never fixed the defensive issues. They were second in goals conceded only to Norwich, who conceded more this season. Um, and yeah, he came in and he did a, did a, did a reasonable job for them, I think. Um, he'll be hoping for some backing in the summer. I worry very much now, though, Zach, about Burnley's um, status as a club. Apparently, they could potentially go into administration because their new owners basically took out a loan to the club, operational loan. Um, and now with the lack of TV income, from not being in the Premier League anymore, I think that you know Burnley have some troubling days ahead. I could see an exodus of players. Tarkovsky just today is uh, is rumored to be signing for Everton for 120,000 a week. So um, mm. a lot of people I think will be out the door and um, a bit nervous for for Burnley Football Club moving forward. Yeah, I was listening to the the Monday Night Football Club podcast that is done by the BBC, and that they were talking about that a lot. That the and I I wasn't aware of that the loan situation, to be honest with you. But yeah, I feel for Burnley fans. I mean, it, it's it's another. I mean, we talked about this a lot last year in a very different context with the Newcastle sale, but it's a failure of the Premier League, I would say, to allow uh, an owner to buy the club if they had no real intention in investing in the club. And that's exactly what you saw with Burnley. Um, and it's going to be really difficult for them to, I think, survive in the in the championship next year, even if they stay afloat financially. Like they, yeah, they're going to have a number of players leaving and they don't really have a defined identity at this point. It's, it's tough because it's always like hindsight's twenty twenty, but you really think that they shouldn't have fired Sean Dyche, right? Like that, mm -hmm. that is just like, it's aged so poorly. Um, and I think you're right to draw those parallels between Burnley and Leeds in the sense of like firing a club legend. But the difference I think being is that A, Dyche had been there for so much longer and B, like Bielsa had to go, right? Like we, we talked about this a bit, that just the way he was like running that team was was going to get them relegated there was no sort of like feasible way that they could stay up with a manager who doesn't want to change anything about the defense and a defense that can't stop goals whereas with Burnley like I know Mike Jackson did have a great run but did it make that much of a difference ultimately it didn't make the key difference and uh you wonder if if keeping Daichi might have I don't know it might have done something who knows it's an interesting one. You look, you look at kind of um, teams who have, who came in and basically hired established Premier League managers. So you had Hodgson going to Watford, and you had, um, uh, help me out here for Norwich, Dean Smith, um, Norwich. Dean Smith going to Norwich. So obviously some Premier League experience with Villa there. Um, ultimately, though, neither of those two paid off, and they went the kind of younger, inexperienced manager route, and. Obviously, only three teams can go down. So, um, yeah, exactly. Jesse, Jesse, Jesse Marsh was the fortunate one there. I think that that his team stayed up, and, and credit to him. Yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. I will say the last thing I'll say on that. Uh, I, I feel for the fan bases. I wish no ill will to Norwich, Watford, and Burnley. But from the perspective of uh, somebody who just enjoys watching entertaining football, that that was the ideal three teams to go down. Uh, Norwich was one of the worst teams I've ever seen in the Premier League. Our our legend, our hero Tim Cruel, <laughs> is is not at the level he was at once upon a time at 
uh, at White Hart Lane when he stopped 14 shots in a 1-0 Newcastle mm-hmm. victory. Um, Watford, we talked about how instability uh, is never going to work. Um, and love Burnley for a lot of reasons, but the way that they play football is not one of them. So I, I'm yeah. just glad to see Leeds survive. I agree. I think one thing I would um, add as a final closing thought there is tip of the cap to Tamo Puki scored 11 goals on a team that only scored 23 all season. That's um, crazy. He's a quality striker and he needs to be playing Premier League football for a better team than our city. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. I, I could see him maybe at like a Southampton or something like that. Um, Put him, in Bright- put him in Brighton. Put him in Brighton, Brighton with yeah. well, Bright- Welbeck and Mope up front. Oh, that definitely works. That'll play. Yep. He, he he's he's the upper half of the bottom half type player. Like that's yeah. that's where he belongs. hundred percent. And he does and he does it on um, an international basis as well for the Finns. So I mean, he's he's a pretty consistent goal scorer for his international team as well. I think you know Newcastle probably are going to be aiming a little bit higher than Puki in this summer transfer window, but I think, you know, there's plenty of teams out there that could benefit from a quality finisher like him. Yeah. I sure should hope that Newcastle is not trying to sign Timu Puki this summer, but uh, yes, respect for the man for sure. Yep. All right. Well, before we go to a quick commercial break, then Zach, I will give you your first clue for EPL trivia, sir. You ready? Yes. All right. So reminder listeners, Steven Gerrard's last ever game as a player for Liverpool ended in a six, one away defeat to which team? First clue, Zach, this team does not currently play in the Premier League. Hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. I have some ideas, but I am not positive. So, all right. All right. Good well, stuff. We'll be, ba- we'll be back after a word from these sponsors. We are back with the second part of the False Nines podcast. Adam, we're going to go to some awards. I always love, I always love doing this because we get to look back on who was brilliant and who was not in certain categories. That's right. Um, do you mean do you mean who was brilliant, who was not in terms of us and our predictions, like one correct. over one up, one upping each other, or do you mean the actual players that were good and were not? A little bit of both. A little more, more so the former, but a little bit of both um, to, to keep yeah. that balanced so as i mentioned before i I was gonna say i think looking through it i think we've both got some good moments and both got some very bad moments (laughs) yes i i don't have yours written in front of me so i don't remember what you predicted but um i am interested to see how we go through this because yes i'm looking at my preseason predictions and as you just said like some of them i i nailed it and then some of them i was i was very off base um so yes, we will do the end of season EPL awards, looking back at our preseason predictions from episode 73 of the False Nines. That's when we made our predictions. Uh, and Adam, we will start out with the Golden Boot. Uh, very exciting final day for Golden Boot. That was the one thing we didn't mention in our final day recap. Hyungman San tying Mohamed Salah on 23 goals. They're going to share the golden boot title uh this season they actually both scored on the final day however uh son got two and salah got one um mm-hmm. very exciting son's second goal was just a classic 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 sunny finish one of the more Beautiful. one of the one of the more bi-footed players in the premier league i would say um so again son salah 23 goals looking back to the beginning of the season my prediction was harry kane was close 
was as close as I could have come, I guess, but but no cigar there. Who did you say at the beginning of the season? I also said Harry Kane. And I think, uh, you know, Harry Kane, Harry Kane had an Eddie Howe-esque uh, second half of the season, I would say. You know, he was very far off the pace in December, and he's had a much stronger second half of the year. You can tell he's found his love of the game again um right now and i actually went back and listened to our predictions from episode 73 an interesting call out here is that it was right at the time where kane was being linked to manchester i remember that yeah and we were and we were just basically um yeah we're like if he goes there all all, all about kevin de bruyne (laughs) kevin de bruyne's assists right we were thinking about that still i mean he he ended the season at 17 in fourth place in the golden boots so um no, nothing to be nothing to be sniffed at there. I mean, a, a good finish for him, and I think Kane's always a pretty safe bet when you're thinking about Golden Boot. I agree, um, and he also I, I, a shout to Harry Kane. He pretty much like fully has kind of reinvented himself as a elite goal scorer, but also a, an elite distributor. Um, him and him and Son are one of the best pairs to to ever play in the Premier League for a number of reasons, but one of which is just the unselfishness. They're both always looking to set each other up. It almost seems at times like they, it's almost like a little joke between them of how good they are at setting each other up. Um, but yes, it, it, as you said, a safe prediction. Harry Kane will always be a safe prediction for Golden Boot. Yep, 40 goals between them for the season. Um, yeah, for sure. Tip of the Spurs there. And then obviously Salah and Mane both in the top five as well mm-hmm. with 39 goals between them. So Liverpool and Spurs represent for the golden boot there. Indeed, indeed. Uh, all right, all right Zach, young player of the season. Um, <laughs> <laughs> an area where I think both of us probably had opportunities. I'll tell you what mine was because, again, you didn't have it written down. Um, I went with Gabriel Martinelli. I don't feel mm-hmm. terrible about that pick. I thought he had a pretty decent season. I don't hate that um, either, yeah. Yeah, 29 games, six goals, and six assists um, for an up-and-coming player and certainly ended the season pretty strongly. He did. He did. And so the player who this award has been announced, uh, Phil Foden, is the recipient of this award. My preseason prediction was Jaden Sancho. That one did not age well at all. Uh, (laughs) Sancho certainly had some games where he looked quite bright, but Manchester United is... uh, is a bit of a dumpster fire at the moment or ended this season on a dumpster fiery pay, uh, path. So um, yeah, the, the Foden prediction, no, not it. Not, not, not a great one, but. <laughs> um, um, the, what, one thing I do want to say here, Adam, about young player of the season, I heard this on a number of podcasts and I've read people saying this and I fully agree with it, that the young player of the season as it currently uh, exists so that basically the qualifications for young player of the season is you have to be 23 or under at the beginning of the season right when like the first ball is kicked essentially um mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a it, it's it's a very faulty award like i i i i don't really like and again this is me somewhat regurgitating what i've read other people say but like the idea that Foden can win it for a second time is a little it's a little fake to me i, I believe that like the value in this award would would be a lot higher if one of two things was changed. A, you just can't win it multiple times. I, I think that would be a simple way of changing this award. Or, and this was a suggestion by Rory Smith, who's the the head football writer for the New York Times. Um, it's in, instead of a young player, it's a, like a, a a debut season player. It's it's just about who had the best first season in the Premier League. 
Um, because yeah, like right now it's a little like it was essentially going to be Trent or Foden, two players who've already won the award, and that's a little boring. Yeah, I mean, for for that second option, are you saying if it's a debut season, is it irrespective of age then, or are you saying that, that you that's still have a good the same question? I would I would think that I mean, if I was to create the award, I, I would still hold it to a certain age limitation. Maybe yeah, like maybe twenty three, maybe still twenty three or younger. Um, but it's just a little stale right now. Yep, I, I think I think that's fair. Yeah, I think you know we'll probably Foden will probably be eligible again next year, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, who would you have taken? Um, because this is a subjective award, right? This is not something based on pure statistics like Golden Boot. Who would you have taken it uh, for Young Player of the Season? Who do I think um, deserved it after hindsight of the whole season? You mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. probably Trent Alexander Arnold. I think he he suffered a lot of stick, obviously not being part of the Euros team um for england had a really poor last season as did, as did liverpool really by their standards so the comeback that he's made and the assists that he's been able to offer in that team and just you know you you wondered it with his head dropping after the poor form that he had last year whether he'd find it again whether he'd mm-hmm. kind of get over that hump and i think he did very very well um and that would be my pick for for young player of the season Okay. I, I tried to follow the the belief that I just stated out uh, and give it to Connor Gallagher, who was, he had a little, like the last few matches of the season weren't great, but um, he had a really good season at Crystal Palace. He did, and but he certainly tailed off towards the end. And I watched him when we played um, in that 1-0 home win at St. James's Park, and he was, was terrible. shit. He it was, was terrible. terrible. Yeah. Um, so I think that that kind of, really kind of tarnished my um, my belief that he was going to be a young player of the season or really was necessarily going to be somebody that we might be in the market in because that was somebody we've been rumored to be to be looking at. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, okay, from young player of the season to general player of the season, Kevin De Bruyne has taken home this award. Um, Kevin De Bruyne was my prediction in the 73rd episode, Adam. So this is, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang my hat on this one. Uh, who did you predict at the beginning of the year? I feel great about mine too. Um, I, I predicted Virgil van Dijk coming mm-hmm. back into the team and helping to shore up that Liverpool defense. The joint best defensive record in the Premier League with 26 goals conceded for Liverpool, only with obviously Manchester City. Um, and I think, you know, their club captain coming back really has transformed their season. They've already got two trophies down. They've got the two um, domestic cups in the bag and they're playing in the Champions League final. Van Dijk's been a key part of that and the organization of the defense has has really looked so much better with him at the heart of the team. He was nominated as well for player of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously did, didn't win it with De Bruyne having a phenomenal year. Um, but yeah, I, f- I feel great about that prediction. Yeah. Yeah. As you should, as you should, he, he still could have win. I know they do like multiple iterations of these awards. There's like a EPL award and, or no, it's an FA award. And then like the football writers award or something like that. So Virgil van Dijk might be able to win that second iteration, whatever it might be. Um, but you're right. Like he, yes, he, uh, much like, I guess, Trent, although in a different way, van Dijk coming off an injury, Trent just coming off a poor season, like had a lot to prove this year um, and did it with flying colors. Yep, absolutely. Um, all right, on to first manager sack then. I think we can make this a fast one. We both predicted the same person, Cisco. Um Watford likes fire managers. They did it multiple Easy money. times this season again, and he was the first manager sacked. Not yes. a lot more to say he, on that one. <laughs> he, he beat Steve Bruce by uh, about 
three three weeks or so. So yes, we we nailed that one. Yep, we we certainly did. It was uh, if ever there was an easy pick, I think that one was the one. <laughs> yeah, relegated teams. Uh, Adam, who did you predict on relegated teams? So again, for the listeners, Watford, Norwich, Burnley are the three. Yeah, you definitely got me on this one. Um, I'll be honest, from from a heart standpoint, I can never bet against Norwich. I really struggle with that. With my dad being an Norwich fan, um, I think if I'd gone with my head versus my heart, Norwich probably would have been in there. Um, but I picked Southampton, as did you. Um, mm-hmm. I picked Watford, as did you. And then my differing team was Brentford. And I will say that I they've so. complete, completely shocked me with the um, with the form that they've had. And obviously, Thomas Frank is a manager of the year contender for, for good reason. They've, they've had a great season. Yes. Yeah. I Getting Norwich there as my third alongside Watford and Southampton does give me, I guess, the edge there. But I, I think Brentford was a, a smart pick. Um, and yeah, T- Thomas Frank really... Really fantastic year with that team. Uh, bringing in Erickson made the world of difference as well. Um, great, that was- great point on Erickson there. I was going to ask that um, if if they had not brought in Christian Erickson, do you think they would have had the? Do you think they would have the ability to stay up? I guess um, I really worry that they they were in a they were in a rut during January. Right, they were really mm-hmm. kind of plummeting. They were in free fall. They weren't scoring a lot of goals or conceding a lot of goals. And I think Christian Erickson came in and kind of brought the whole team up, um, brought the oh, club up, if you will. So oh, absolutely. What, what, what do you think? If they hadn't have brought him in, do you think Brentford might have gone down? Yeah, I think they probably would have been on the final day with Leeds and Burnley or, you know, right there in the mix. Uh, Erickson, it cannot be overstated how much of a different he, difference he made to that team. I mean, he came back in and was just on this incredible form and linking up with Ivan Tony. Ivan Tony had a really solid second half of the year as well, um, putting mm-hmm. himself, I would say, in the fringe of the England conversation at this point. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, they, they would have been far closer and in, in a lot more danger um, Brentford if they were not able to get Ericsson and it'll be tough because yeah I don't I don't know how high the likelihood is that he is there next year now that he's seems to be back to to full strength like he's still a Champions League level player it looks like and uh, my mm-hmm. my dad was saying to me right after the final day he was like Tottenham should go in for Christian Ericsson you know get that exciting homecoming and also get the you know the center midfielder that we need and I I could certainly see the bigger clubs coming for him. I could see them coming for him, but I wonder if he thinks he owes Thomas Frank something. Danish manager, Danish player. Yeah. Um, lots of Dane that Norgards had a great season in midfield. I think they have a Norgard Danish trio good. in midfield. You know, maybe, maybe he just feels like he owes him another season um, and stays there. It might be my outside prediction. Yeah, I, I could see it happening. Uh, he Christian Eriksen seems like a player who would who would feel that way, but... I could also very well understand if he's just like, listen, like I can't, I, I, you know, I, I so heavily appreciate what you all did for me. You took a risk yeah. on me, but like, I'm ready to play top level yeah. football. Want to go play in the Champions League. You could totally understand that for sure. Definitely. Um, okay, Adam, the last uh, EPL award um, that I certainly missed on champion of the league. I said it was going to be Chelsea. It most certainly was not Chelsea and you nailed it. Manchester city, Fourth title in five years. Um, well done. You know that was that was as obvious as Cisco for me. Uh, Manchester City are a tough team to bet against in the Premier League. Now the Champions League, different story. But the Premier League, they seem to have it nailed on. They've been uh, like you said, four and five now with the one Liverpool title mixed in there. Um, another great season for City. Um, I will say one thing that I saw today in the press that I didn't love 
was Jack Grealish celebrating um, Manchester City's victory and title win, drunk, and basically said Mares needed to come off because he looked terrible like Almiron. Um, thought that was a little bit lacking in class. Um, certainly didn't make me feel very good towards Jack Grealish. And I don't think he's necessarily somebody that can speak like that. He's had a pretty poor st- season by his standards, I would say. Yeah, Jack Grealish is not known for being uh, like that. Nobody is going to claim he's one of the more classy players in the Premier League. Uh, yeah, I don't know that. That I I didn't actually see that comment. I I saw that a few videos of him like pretty like piss drunk at their championship parade or their celebration. Uh, but yeah, Grealish did not have a terribly exciting season. Um, everything he did was he 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 was like you know same maximum but without the ability to actually beat people like he would just take people on do a couple of nice dribbles and then pass laterally or back so uh yeah he doesn't really have the footing there to to say much do you know that jack Grealish also did you see the video of him unable to uh to name where any cities are in england have you seen that video no no that's not uh, it's, it's amazing he's shown a map of england and he's just like i can't do geography i don't know where anything is on this map and they're like you've lived in this country your entire life. And he's just like, I'm not a geography guy. And it was a very funny video. And traveled to all of those away stadiums. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Good for anyway, him. Man- anyway, Manchester City won the title and he gets a, he gets a medal. So whatever. <laughs> he certainly does. And um, obviously justifying his, uh, his move in his own mind, um, winning, winning trophies with Manchester City. Good for him. Exactly. Um, all right. Newcastle awards. This is this will be a little bit more uh, a little bit more creative because these are all going to be subjective, Adam. Uh, good to go. You want to you want to take a break or are we done right into it? No, let's go right into it. I'm I'm ready. All right. So I made all these up um, in the last day or so, um, or just picked out the questions that, that we'll go through the categories, if you will. Uh, best signing of the season, Adam. Bruno Guimaraes, undoubtedly. Easy. That's, he is the player that is going to, yep he is the player that's going to attract the best quality players to Newcastle um getting him to come was a major coup and you've already seen that he's trying to convince Lucas Paqueta to come to Newcastle the, could you imagine yes. a midfield trio of Paqueta Bruno the Brazilian and Big the Joe. Brazilian or Paqueta is Paqueta is Brazilian as well am I he is yeah mm-hmm. yeah I was yeah. gonna say that would be nuts yep. um the Brazilian midfield yeah there have been a lot of you know Newcastle fans are 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 way too quick to jump to the gun on on seeing things on social media and assuming things are going to happen. But yeah, there's been a lot of rumors of of that move, which would be pretty wild. But why not? Leon didn't make it uh, this year. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so yeah. So there's a there's, there's a chance that you know if he's he's not going to be if he stays at Leon, he's not playing European football. If he comes to Newcastle, he's not playing European football. Come play yeah. with your buddy. Let's come play that with your true. best mate. <laughs> that's true yeah your your logic is infallible but yes bruno bruno's easy i mean we we had a number of uh, you know signings that made a positive difference but bruno is at a different level for sure yep second award zach is going to be another obvious one so i'll let you go first on this one most yeah. improved player i was going to say we're we're starting out with the two that there's no there's no way we we differ on uh it's joe linton by a like a an unfathomably large measure uh yeah, going from a striker who can't find the goal to uh, a midfield destroyer who seems to 
you know, be in the position that seems to have fulfilled his destiny in the position that he never thought he would play. So yeah, Joe Lynn to buy a mile there. Yep, absolutely. Yep, nothing more to say on that other than he's now become, he's gone from being villain to hero and um, I couldn't be happier for him. Great, great dude. Absolutely. All right, this is going to be an interesting one. This is where it's going to get interesting. Most disappointing player. I'm interested to see who you took and kind of how you interpreted that one. Yeah, I guess inter- interpretation here should could be interesting, but I a name immediately jumped out for me for this one. It's Kieran Clark. Um, mm. I think that you know he he started the season you know probably being one of our first choice defenders under Steve Bruce. Um, came came in. Uh, sorry, Eddie Howe came in, and Clark immediately ended up getting sent off against Norwich early on in the game in a must win game for us that we ended up only taking a point from, um, dragging back Tamu Puki. Uh, when he was clean through and that was just coincidentally that was the game where Joe Linton dropped back into midfield um but I digress horrible horrible decision making and Eddie Howe apparently after the game was furious in the dressing room on that one but they kept that one under wraps pretty well in terms of his reaction to it supported him to the press and then we went to the um the trip to Saudi Arabia you probably remember this one as well a friendly against the Saudi Arabian team in front of the PIF and all the owners of Newcastle and he basically gets into a scrap with one of the Saudi Arabian players and gets himself sent off in a friendly. And shortly after that, he gets dropped from the squad and doesn't make the final 25 um, from February through the end of the season. Um, horrible memory to leave Kieran Clark with for Newcastle because I think he's gone in the summer. Um, mm-hmm. I think he was a great servant to us over the years since he came from Villa. I thought he had some really good moments, um, but certainly this season... Um, is, is not one that he'll look back on favorably. And I think he'll be disappointed with how his Newcastle career has ended. Yeah. I, again, interpretation of the, sorry, I had some audio issues there. Um, let my Bluetooth earbuds just decided to connect even though they're in their case. Um, uh mind of their own adam mind of their own so the the interpretation of this award is is the key here because i went in a completely different direction although i i completely agree with everything you said uh callum wilson is my most disappointing player of the season and it's purely because he can't stay healthy um and it's not a slide on him it's certainly not a slide on his performances because he's been excellent whenever he's been on the pitch but 20 matches adam that's how many matches uh Callum Wilson missed this season uh on top of 12 matches that he missed last season uh I yeah again this has no no statement on uh what he does for the team because I think he's an excellent striker but uh disappointing in the sense that it sucks to see a guy who has just not been able to stay healthy in his two seasons for Newcastle yeah okay I I can see why you picked him I think different perspective on the question um but yeah, I mean, certainly frustrating for fans. We'd love to see him on the pitch more. He, certainly when he is, he's game changer for us. There you go. Different, different strokes for different folks on that one. Exactly. All right, next question. Three players that you would keep. Um, and this one will be immediately followed by three players you would sell. So I'm curious, why not, why not let you go first on this one? And I'd like to hear your three and your justifications for them. Sure. Yeah. So um, 
I guess what I kind of meant on this is just like if you could only not only keep three players, but if you if you were to make a list of you know the the order of which you would keep certain players, um, who ah. would fall at the top there? Um, Joe Linton, okay, is my number one. Bruno is my number two. Maybe those are somewhat interchangeable. Probably Bruno number one. Joe Linton number two. Um, number three is where it got a little difficult. I wanted to say a player who is not on the team anymore, which is Matt Target. Uh, but his loan spell has ended, although I know a lot of Newcastle uh, fans hope that we sign him to a permanent deal. Uh, so I, I'm going to say Alan St. Maximin, a controversial figure on Tyneside nowadays, but one that I don't think deserves a lot of the controversy that seems to have been kind of given his way. I think there's still so much uh, room for improvement on St. Maximin, and I also would keep him because his sell-on value isn't, necessarily at its highest mark right now so i think that you know we we've seen the goal contributions uh you've probably seen this statistic that there's no player in all of europe who has dribbled past more defenders that this entire season he's above mbappe which is a ludicrous thing to say um and so yeah i just i would keep him because i want to see can he put it together as a more complete winger a more unselfish player and 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 be you know, kind of fit that style of play that Eddie Howe is trying to uh, implement at Newcastle. Yep, I, I like that. And actually, you can tell we didn't talk about this before we recorded today because I took a completely different spin on this. Three players I would keep that have been rumored to be heading towards the exit door is basically the way that I interpreted this oh, question. Okay. So St. Maximin was also on that list for me because there's been a lot of rumors about him potentially being sold for much of the same reasons that you gave. Um, Matty Target is one that I had on my list too. Players I would like to keep that obviously his loan spell has ended and we have the option to buy, but there's been a lot of rumors about Lodi coming, um, obviously to reunite with Kieran Trippier, um, another Brazilian potentially coming in, hmm. uh, left back, different style of player to target, obviously, and obviously a little bit potential, the ceiling would be higher for Lodi. Um, but I think Matty Target's done enough to at least be in, involved in the rotation there at left back. And then the third player I named was um, somebody who I think has had a great end to the season is Emil Kraft. Um, has mm. really, we haven't missed Trippier as much as I thought we would miss Trippier. And a yeah. large part of that has been down to the quality performances at right back of Emil Kraft. Not to mention, the dude literally could have saved Fabian Schar's life um, two games ago. Yeah. Um, when he kind of like put him on his side and like pulled his tongue, so I'm swallowing his tongue. Um, 100%. Emil Kraft, I think, is is certainly a player that I have been critical of in the past, and I think is you know um, another one that's improved greatly under Eddie Howe. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, I could not agree more. Uh, three players you would sell, Adam. I All think right, you're not going to you're not going to like these ones. Here. Okay, Miggy Almiron. The time has come. Um, okay, he's he's yeah he's made of plastic and just falls over all the time. Um, I'm not a fan. Um, Jamal Asels. Um, I'm ready for for change there at centre-back. I think he's not at the level that we need to be if we want to be competing at the top end of the table. And Chris Wood, um, probably the most controversial of the three. Um, I One goal um, in the entire time that he's been there since January. Callum Wilson scored two goals against Burnley. Scored more goals than, than Wood has in the entire time that he's been there. Um, came in to do a job. Uh, wait, wait. Callum Wilson did not score two goals against Burnley. The first the first goal of that game was no goal. So, fact The check. first game with the goal against Burnley, fact check, was a penalty. No, the second goal was a penalty. No, incorrect. I watched the game. 
So did I. Was, okay. Well, Berlin, the, you're are you talking are you talking about the Arsenal game? Because that that may be what you're talking about. Because there no, was I'm the, Ar about the Arsenal the, game. The Arsenal yeah. game was the, was the only. Oh game. man, I am. Yeah. Okay, that was no goal. Sorry. Go ahead. Take that Continue. Malcolm McDonald shirt off. Continue. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, I again, Chris Wood. I just think came in, did a job for us, shored it up, gave us some possession of the ball up top really, really well when we needed it. But I think we need goal scorers in this team. Um, we need players like Callum Wilson that, to your point, can stay healthy for an entire season. Um, there's mm -hmm. some names being linked. I think if we sell Chris Wood, we'll probably get maybe half of what we got for him. Um, yeah. But uh, again, I just I don't see him being a fit in the longer term as somewhat of a knee-jerk impulse buy. And I, I appreciate what he's done, but I don't think that he's the answer. Yeah, no, I mean, it speaks to the financial flexibility of Newcastle nowadays that that is even on the table. But yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, and I think he would, if we got a striker, he would be third in the pecking order. So he probably Where, doesn't want to be in that situation either. Where'd you go with this one? I'm interested to hear your your three. I Yeah, so I I kind of went in a similar direction. Uh, LaSalle's is on there. I agree. I think his time has come. I've also not been a huge fan of his for the last year and a half or so after those two different dust-ups that he had on the training pitch. I was like, that's not what a leader should be doing. Um, so LaSalle's gets one of them. Uh, I think this is a little bit of a softball because he has pretty much said that he knows he's going to leave. Isaac Hayden, another player that um, I I've always really liked. He caught the injury bug his last couple of seasons here. Uh, but again, like if you're talking about quality that you need, going forward he is is not exactly there um and then uh the third one was a little difficult for me because the the two players that i was thinking of i think will leave but are also players that i i quite like um but javi Mankio, i think will will be going he, he's my third here um and just thinking about like depth when you're when you're looking at a team that will be certainly striving to be a top half if not you know top eight fringe of europe Type team next year, uh, Mankio is is not that guy. So that those are the guys I would sell. Who was the one that you were considering alongside Mankio? Was it Miggy? It was uh, Matt Ritchie, but I think he's going to be gone anyway. I I wouldn't yeah. say I would sell him, but like he, there's no way he plays for Newcastle next year. Yeah, he came on as a sub late in the game. I think that was certainly a farewell there. So um, yeah. appreciate everything he's done for the for the team over the last few years. He's just been. Uh, beast when we've called on him he's always always the first to throw himself into a tackle good good old Matt Ritchie he is he is indeed um most underappreciated Adam who'd you go with um, is our next award yeah um I very very quickly went with John Joe Shelby for this um I feel I like, like we were we were a better team with him in it this season we struggled to win without his creativity I think as the season kind of panned on um and Bruno started to get more comfortable I think we missed him less in the last few games um but i think he brought a lot to the team and is somebody i hope that continues to be in the squad next season i i like that uh yeah shelby was one of the ones i was thinking about uh, i actually went with fabian share here um hmm. and the reason for that is that i i don't necessarily think that like he isn't appreciated but underappreciated in the sense that i like dan Byrne got a lot of the plaudits the second half of the year for a number of reasons. He first of all, he played very well the majority of the games he he played for Newcastle. Um, 
He provided the real physicality that we had been missing for for quite a while. He's also the local boy, so you know Newcastle loves a narrative. Uh, but I think that Fabian Chair is the better center back of the two when they're both at the top of their form. I think he's a more complete center back. He's great on the ball, and he still does have that physical aspect. Obviously, not to the level of six foot seven Dan Byrne, uh, but I think I think Cher is a more complete center back, and in that sense, kind of was a little bit underappreciated. Yeah, huge fan of Fabian Cher this season, so um, I like that shot a lot. Yeah, and he scored a cracker against Burnley like three years ago, and I'll never forget. I'll never forget the noise that it made when it hit the post. Yeah, and he scored the first one against Spurs this season when we thought we were going to actually win at um, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and that didn't end up very well. But we took the lead. It did not. Uh, biggest surprise of the season. Oh man, the takeover happened. <laughs> Okay. Finally. <laughs> nice. right. Yeah, that's solid. That's solid. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 I mean, I I mean, we'd heard about it for two years beforehand. We all thought it was complete rubbish and it wasn't ever gonna happen. And then all of a sudden it happened very, very quickly. So yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, I'll toss out two here, uh, both pretty quick. The fact that we survived after going 14 games without a win, being the first team ever to do that, that was mm-hmm. pretty nuts. I did not think that Newcastle was gonna be playing in the Premier League next year. Um, especially during that, that, I mean, the, the game against Norwich is an easy one to point out there as like a low point. Um, my, my second one, that's a little more player specific and you kind of alluded to this earlier, or I guess half of it, uh, the improved second half form of Emil Kraft and Ryan Frazier is something that Hmm. I did not expect to see. Both of those players I thought were pretty much, you know, kind of just depth guys that would only would and should only participate in the case of a number of injuries, but both played a really integral role in that uh, second half kind of a rebirth that Newcastle had. Yeah, I like, I like that a lot. Yeah, uh, Fraser is a player we haven't mentioned at all yet, and I think, you know, credit to him. He's really put in the extra time since Howe has come in, and I really hope that he doesn't play well if uh, Wales end up playing Scotland in the uh, Euro or the World <laughs> Cup qualifiers. When, when is that supposed to be? um the i all i know is that the wales game is going to be june 5th which is a sunday and i think a few days or a week before that is going to be that ukraine scotland game to decide who who plays them in cardiff so got it got it got it um okay last four here uh adam best moment of the season um, I don't know that many people will agree with this, but I love this. Um, I lost my shit. Um, I kept, I woke up my family. Um, Kieran Trippier over the wall against Everton. Um, mm-hmm. the the free kick where he just announced himself, slid on his knees into the corner. Um, the fans went crazy. Um, beautiful, like sealed the game. It was two one. It was looking nervy. Um, Kieran Trippier just puts a peach of a free kick from distance into the bottom right hand corner, puts it past the old T Rex arms in goal. And we were going nuts. It was it was great stuff. That was a beautiful free kick. I like that chat a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, that was that was a pretty great moment. Funnily enough, Adam, uh, my best moment is one that you spoke about just a few minutes ago um, in a much different tone. Best moment of the season was Kieran Clark's red card against Norwich in November because <laughs> that gave us modern day Joe Linton. It did. I mean, that's that's a great call. I like that a lot. Yeah, Joel Linton may not be um, staying at Newcastle and certainly wouldn't be a fan favorite without that switch. So, yeah. So thank you for having that flash of flash of red, Kieran Clark. You gave us uh, our, our our midfield destroyer. <laughs> All right. Next one up. Uh, best win. Interested to hear what you had here, Zach. 
Uh, a very uh, an easy one to remember um, as it was, but two matches ago, the two 0 win against Arsenal, I think, was our best performance of the season uh, and our best win of the season in terms of the energy and the crowd, uh, the way in which we pretty much squashed Arsenal's chance for a top four finish, which I always love to see. Uh, and yeah, I think that we just played completely lights out in that game, dominated every second of that match, and I think that was our best win. I considered that one, as I thought you may go for it. I thought I'd pick something else. Um, mine, I actually went for the 2-1 win against Leicester at St. James's Park. Um, historically, we play really poorly against Leicester. Um, same thing could be said about Arsenal, but um, in recent years, I feel like Leicester have always had our number. Um, I love the way that for that final goal, we were looked like we were 1-1 and we're happy to take a point. Matty Target could have played the ball out for a goal kick. He made the turn release Willock down the left. Willock, with a little bit of fortune, crossed it in, and Bruno scored his first ever headed goal for any team he's ever played for. Is and that true? Just, I didn't know that. Yes, it was. Yeah, he never scored a header before. I actually said it in the uh, the interview after that. So just perfect player for it to land to and just scenes. It was it was fantastic. The um, you know the, the Arsenal game, I think, was more of a complete performance, but the drama of the late goal, I think, I like for that. me, was, was a great, great win. Yeah, I like that shout quite a lot uh best goal uh miggy almiron against palace much shit Ooh. as i gave him earlier on um that ball through from bruno the first touch from miggy showing some strength on the ball was Insane. incredible and then the finish was just like a beautiful finish past quite in the goal yeah i i there there were two that i was choosing between and that was one of them i went with bruno's first goal for newcastle which was the back heel against yes. southampton um also great. just a ridiculous way to announce yourself to the Premier League, uh, a goal of the year contender um, in my mind. But yeah, the, the Mickey goal, it also had the element of just, you're like, yeah, he's not going to be able to take that first touch. Oh, like he's not going to be able to hold off that defender. And then just, yeah, the top cheddar finish was insane. It was great. It was fantastic. So two, two worthy goals, I think. And I think Mickey actually won gold a month for that one against Palace as well. He did. He did. He, yep. did. he won yep. primarily goal of the month. That is true. Um, mm -hmm. All right. Last one here, Adam. Looking forward to next season. Uh, and this will be kind of a two-parter. Uh, next season's captain for Newcastle, who do you think it'll be? And um, and this might be the same person, but who do you want it to be? I want it to be Kieran Trippier. And I think it will be Dan Byrne because I think he's the local lad. And I think that um, he will get the knock. All right. Interesting. Okay. I didn't say either of those. So this is good. This is good parody. Um, I, th I think it'll be Callum Wilson if he's healthy and if he is our starting <laughs> striker. Um, yeah. I want it to be Joe Linton though. I think Joe Linton is the guy that you, you build this team around, honestly, like him and Bruno. Uh, and I like the idea of also just having a, uh, a midfield, uh, yeah, like a, a really, really physical midfielder as your captain. I just, there's something about that, that, um, that just, Patrick Vieira-esque. Exactly. It makes you smile. Like the, the guy with the armband, just being the, the field general. Um, and I think that Joe Linton is also kind of coming to his, into his own as a leader. So I would love for it to be him. I like that. Yeah. The language barrier is not as big now. I think he's, his English is certainly coming. His English is pretty now. good. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard a number of interviews and it's, it's, I'm impressed. He's doing, he's doing pretty well. All right, well, um, we'll take a quick commercial break here right before we get into Armchair Pundits 10 and 90, and Mark, uh, 10 and 90, excuse me, and then the EPL trivia answer for the day. Uh, listeners, we'll be right back with you. 
And we are back with the final section of the 89th episode of the False Nights podcast. A lot of content, Adam, that we've gone over. So we'll we'll lock it down with what we are most, most comfortable talking about, and that is Armchair Pundits and 10 and 90. As always, Armchair Punditry, what's your take? What do you got? Um, a team that we haven't really talked about too much in the pod today Manchester United. My prediction is that they will not finish in the top four next season. A lot of optimism around the team right now with Eric Ten Hag coming in, um, feeling like he is the man. He's going to be the person that kind of brings the good times back to Manchester United. But let me explain my logic here. They are coming off their worst season in Premier League history with a total of 58 points. That's in 30 years, their worst ever season was this one that just went through. So I think it's going to take Ten Hag a lot to turn this team around and adapt his style to the Premier League. Um, the dressing room problems are huge right now. I was reading this week that there's a division in the dressing room between the British players and the foreign players, and that Ronaldo is kind of the leader of the foreign players in the dressing room. And obviously, <laughs> he was then linked this week with Real Madrid. He hasn't um, agreed to stay necessarily. He may want out of the team. I think Ten Hag will be a, a big deciding factor in that for him. Um, and I just think they're in a, a bit of a shambles right now. So I think the Manchester United fans that are thinking that Ten Hag is going to just be this silver bullet, that he's going to come in and immediately the good times are going to come back. Remember, this is a Man United team that finished in second in the Premier League last season. They finished second and qualified for the, the Champions League. I think they're a long ways off where they need to be. And even though they'll bring in a good manager and probably some good signings, they always get good backing there. I think that they'll be outside of the top four come the end of next season. Totally agree. Yeah, that's not even a hot take to me. I I don't I I definitely don't look at them as a, a top four team next season. Um, but yeah, I like that. I hope they keep they keep slipping up. They're the team that by far the most most of any team in the Premier League, they're the team that I want to fail the most. Quick that was a quick follow up question. But yeah. Quick quick follow up question though. Who finishes higher in the Premier League next season? Manchester United or Newcastle? I knew you were going to say that. Uh, probably Manchester United. Probably. Manchester. Nah, let's go with Newcastle. Screw it. But we'll go with Newcastle. We'll go with Newcastle. Two Army. Two, two Army all the way. Premier League champions, we, 2023. We pip, we pip them for the Everton Cup. We get eighth and Manchester United gets ninth. <laughs> I'll take Europe. I think that's that's my realistic goal for Newcastle next season is um, let's try and qualify for Europe. That'd be wild, but yep. a, a, nice, a nice goal. And that... Perfectly transitioned into my armchair punditry. Newcastle going to finish in the top eight next season and do it yes. with spending under fifty million pounds this summer. Um, I'm going to go with fifty million net. So this okay, will include the, the sale of certain players. That being said, though, I don't think Newcastle is going to sell any high price players. I think the guys we're going to be selling are your eyes, the, the ones we talked about before: your Hayden, your Mankio, your Richie, your. Kieran Clark might I and some of these guys might be on a free as well. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but I I mean I, I think that we we well I not I think we splashed cash in January. We spent the most pounds in all of Europe. Um, and I think we have the pieces right now. Like we have the core that we need with Joe Linton, with Bruno, with Trippier back. I, I think the back line is pretty strong. Uh could see us getting a goalkeeper, but I personally don't think that's as urgent as some people say. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I think we keep ASM. 
So yeah, I don't think we spend as like a lot of people have been saying to me like, oh, Newcastle is just going to buy all the best players in the world now. And I'm like, I think we're going to be a little that. more savvy about that. And you can, but yeah. um, yes. So top eight, we're not going to spend over 50 million. Yeah, uh, that's, I, I like that one. Good, good shout for next season for sure. I'll be interested to see how the net 50 works out because obviously there are financial fair play rules in place. We have to have an element of young, uh, of homegrown players in the team. That's why Dummett got a new contract. That's why they probably want Sean Longstaff to stay. Um, eh, potentially there's talent there as well, but I don't think that, you know, I think there's better options out there than than Longstaff in midfield. Yeah, I think that's true. I think you're yep. right. Checking a box is important. Yep. All right, well, 10 and 90, would you like to go first or second, my friend? I don't really have a preference to you. I'll go first if we're both indifferent, but it's up to you. Go ahead. All right. Um, a theme this week, Adam, a theme. All right. We're going thematic. Um, and these are all these are all trivia. None of these are are, are hypotheticals. Um okay. and the theme this week for no particular reason is assists. One of my Ooh. favorite stats for a player to have, as I am a okay. man in my recreational league who prides himself in getting a good amount of assists in yep. on Sundays. Um, so assists it is, Adam. We're gonna start with question number one uh which two current players in the premier league are in the top 10 for all-time assist leaders in premier league history hmm. i'm gonna go with the obvious kevin de bruyne is that correct? kevin de bruyne is one of them okay and then i would probably go with andy robertson close trent alexander Arnold. Close in the exact same way. Oh, it's a it's a Liverpool player. It is. Hmm. Who would it be if not those two? James know. Milner. James Milner. Yeah. James Milner on on the fact that he has played in the Premier League for I believe twenty seven years now. He's only eighty years old. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised, but happily surprised to see James Milner there. That is a surprising one. Yeah, I would I wouldn't have gone with that one. I guess, but like longevity in the league makes makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. Question number two: Who was the last player to play for a club that finished in the bottom half and have more than ten assists? And I can give you a clue here because that's super specific. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, the year was two or the season was two thousand eighteen two thousand nineteen. Okay. His club finished in 14th. He had 14 assists, and he <sighs> currently plays. I know who it is. Don't say. Don't say. Don't say. Okay. All right. I got it. I got it. It's Ryan Fraser. It's Callum Wilson. Very good. Well, not yep. to Callum Wilson in particular, but it is Ryan Fraser. But most of them were to Callum Wilson, I think. Probably yes. Or yep. Yep. yeah, him or uh, who's the other striker? Uh, Joshua King. Josh King, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Another, another classic for... Benitez signing, like Salomon Rondon for Everton there. Good job. Exactly. Um, Brian Frazier, Bournemouth, 14 assists. He was second yeah. behind Kevin De Bruyne that year, which is really impressive. Um, okay. Question number three. Who was the last Newcastle player to have over five assists in a season? And your clue is it was the same season as the last question. So 2018-19. I go with Matt Ritchie. 
very good. It is Matt yeah. Ritchie. Um, okay. Matt Ritchie had eight assists that season, and nobody has nobody has cracked five since then, which is <laughs> kind of funny and not that good. I just remember that um, we there was always that that saying amongst fans that Richie was the best crosser of the ball that we had at the club. Um, yeah, so it made sense to go with him. I like that. Good, good memory. Yep. Good memory. Um, question number four, Adam. Uh, in the 2013-2014 season, Newcastle's top five assist makers were all French. Who were they? Wait, the, which season was it again? Can you say it one more time? 2013-14, our top five assist makers are, were all French. Okay, I'll start with Kibai. No. That's the craziest what? part is he wasn't – he was the sixth. He had two assists, which falls outside the oh, uh, the top five. Yeah, that, that was the wildest part of all. Gouffron would be one. Gouffron. Is Antoine Sibierski in that team? I, I've never heard that name before, so no. Okay. You have to give me some clues here. I'm, I'm striking out on French players over here. Um, One of them has been compared to Alan St. Maxman in certain ways. Oh, hasn't been Arfa. Hasn't been Arfa. Very good. Okay. Uh, yeah. One of them played in the Premier League this season. For Newcastle? Our, no. It was actually our top assist uh, maker of the 2013-14 season. He got relegated this this year. Musa Sissoko? Musa Sissoko. Um, okay. So you have Sissoko, you have Ben Arfa, and you have Yohan Gouffron. Uh, next player went to Arsenal. Oh, Debushi. Matthew Debushi, very good. Okay. Um, yeah. And the last player was a striker. Emmanuel Riviere? Nope. Ah, oh, shit. I don't know who this one is. Do you oh. want to QPR? He went to QPR? He, uh, no, he came from QPR. Came from QPR. Oh, you got me on that one. Go ahead. Loic Remy. Oh yeah, Remy. I forgot about him. Uh, yeah. Good good striker on us, Daisy. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Um okay, fifth and final question, Adam. Who is the highest non-European assist maker in Premier League history? Uh, and I have a clue if you'd like it. I will take the clue right off the bat. Go ahead. He has played for Newcastle. <laughs> it's James Milner then, surely. <laughs> Non-European, top non-European assist maker in Premier League history. What do you mean non-European? I guess Miller would be non-European to me. Um, I'm thinking like external to the UK, like British versus like European, foreign. You're, you're saying like actual outside of the continent of Europe. Correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Like, okay. I, yeah, I'm not really I like sure a British, what you British by player, that. British players and European players. I kind of, I know the continent, the continent wise, they would be included in that. But not can't. born or raised in the continent of Europe. I see. I see. Ah, yes. That's a hard one. He played for Newcastle for quite a few years. Um, and he had two different stints in the early thousands. Oh, wow. I can give you exact years if you need. I want to the country. Can you tell me the country? The country will definitely give it away. Okay. Oh, is it Nabi Solano? 
It is Navi Solana. Very good. Ah, so good. I feel great. What country is he from? Peru. Peru. There Peru. you go. Yeah. 60, yeah. 62 assists. I think he was like 22nd or so in, in Premier League history, but the top yeah. non-European. What a player he was. There you go. Yep. All right. Well, um, I have a theme for you today as well, Zach. That was a fun you one. You got Thank a theme. Two themes. Yep. Yep. Um, mine is actually a nod to a player that played his last professional game this past weekend. Mark Noble. Club legend for West Ham, yeah. Mark Noble. Yep. There we go. All right. Here we go. I've got five Mark Noble-themed questions for you. Some of them are actually quite fun, so here we go. Oh. Um, Noble played 490 games as a professional for, uh, for his club. 472 of those were for West Ham. And in 2006, he had two short loan spells with two different teams. I want you to name one of those teams. Can you tell me what league they are currently in? Both currently in League One. One of them was managed previously by Steve Bruce. Ooh. The other one, um, their nickname is um, after an agricultural vehicle vehicle <laughs> vehicle the tractors um yes that's it i have no idea who the tractors are <laughs> the track the tractor boys come on you must know this one i have no idea uh what commanders no you should go, go with the other one then former former team managed by steve bruce there's been a few of them, Sunderland? But, uh also this team's a player for no a player for this team was um formerly involved in a clash on the sidelines with newcastle coach alan pardew oh um playing orange and black oh yeah it was hull it was hull yeah. Nice. So it's Hull, five games for them in 2006. And the Tractor okay. Boys are Ips Ipswich, 13 games for Ipswich. Did not know that. Did not know they yeah. were the Tractor Boys. They sure are. All right. All right. Question, question number two. In 2020, you'll love this one. This is great. Noble was rated as the player with the second highest conversion rate for penalty kicks in the Ooh. world over the, last, over the last 20 years. He had a 90.5, 90.5 conversion rate on penalties over the last 20 years he was only beaten by one player and that player had a 91.1 percent conversion rate who is that player so you're saying are you saying in just the season of 2020 or just over his Between, entire career that spans yeah okay 2000 and 2020 in those 20 years yeah noble noble had the second best record from the spot conversion rate 91.1 was the best who was it Share maybe incorrect. He's a player that is still currently playing too. Oh, and doing very, very well. Who is a good penalty taker? Is it Ward Prowse? Nope, no. nah, Ward Prowse didn't go back also, not, also, not doing very, very well. Um, um, player that was nominated for the Ballon d'Or and controversially missed out on it this year. It's not Jorginho, no. No, it's not. It's not Jorginho. Um, Benzema? You're struggling here. Yeah. The answer uh, is oh, Lewandowski. Lewandowski. Yeah, Lewandowski. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, Noble only second to Lewandowski. So, 
Didn't realize Question number three. Guy. How many England caps does Mark Noble have? I'll give you five either way. I really don't think it's that many. Um, go with 16. Uh, the answer is zero. He represented England at under 16, <laughs> under <bastard>. 17, <laughs> under 18, under 19, and under 21. And had almost 50 caps combined at those levels, but never got a full international cap. All right. So kind of bridging off of that question, which other country did Noble consider representing through his grandparents' country of birth? And I'm not going to give you any clues on this one because it's a fairly obvious close relation to the UK. Uh, Scotland? Actually, it was Ireland. Okay. Yep. And let me let me read this quote to you. I actually love this quote when I read it. Actually, give me great respect for, for Mark Noble. Um, there are young Irish kids playing well that deserve and would appreciate an Irish cap more than I would. I played through all the age groups as a youth international with England, went to tournaments and sang the national anthem. But obviously, I've never got a senior cap. So for me to turn up and play for Ireland without it having been a dream of mine, and there's an Irish kid out there who might miss out when it's their dream to play for their country, I couldn't do that to them. Ah, respect. I like that. Noble by name, noble oh. by nature. And 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 then he groomed he groomed Declan Rice to to, <laughs> to turn away Ireland and play for England. That's right. That's right. All right. Last question then for Mark Noble. What is the highest club honor? Mark Noble has accomplished in his 18 year football career for West Ham club honor, meaning, meaning what exactly? Uh, meaning what trophies have West Ham okay. won in his entire 18 years at the club? What's the greatest of those achievements? They win an FA cup. They didn't. All they had to show for it, Zach was winning the football league championship Ooh. twice. 2005 and 2012 yeah that was that was the highlight of it for him he lifted the championship trophy twice as club captain damn yeah that's that's not great in terms of hardware but he is known as mr west ham i think that's he worth is. a lot more he was hammer of the decade between 2010 and 2020 rightly so yep absolutely all right as always zach last question for you pronounce this walsh word it's a good one you might want to write this down s okay. i S I W. Wait, wait, I have to grab my pen. Um, S I W. M A E. Shima. It's not bad. It's a good effort. Really? It's sh okay. it's, sh it's Shumai. Oh, I, I was very close on that. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this one. means I'm gonna guess. And this means. end the season has ended it's actually the opposite of this it's it's hello oh no yeah <laughs> your your pronunciation was better than your That's guessing true. of the translation so that is that is true okay i'm happy right. i'm happy with that performance not not bad my friend all right well you got a chance to redeem yourself here uh with epl trivia before we close out today as a reminder, Steven Gerrard's last ever game as a player for Liverpool ended in a 6-1 away defeat to which team? I think this I know team, this. You know it? All right. This I team doesn't so, currently play it. in the Premier League. Yeah. And their manager is currently Michael O'Neill. Is it Stoke? It is Stoke City Football Club. I remember that. Great, 
great way to end the podcast, my friend. Well done. Very good. Tip of the, tip of the yeah. hat to you there. I remember that. I remember that because, yeah, Liverpool had just like had a pretty terrible end to the season and then it was just capped off. I don't think Stoke has ever scored six goals before. So that was that was a bad one. Probably haven't since. Yeah, that was it was yep. brutal. Good stuff. Good end of the season pod, Adam. That was yeah. a lot of material. And I'm I'm glad we ran through it all. Me too. Yeah, it was I mean it was a worthy recap of a fantastic final day of football in the Premier League. It never ceases to disappoint. Just when you think there are no more twists left, we go and see Villa take a 2-0 lead at the Etihad and get our minds blown when City come back and win 3-2 with five, three goals in five minutes. Yes. Fan fantastic end to a fantastic season. Up the magpies. Eddie Howe's yep. black and white army. Eddie has black and white army. Hopefully he is lifting the manager of the year award next year. Or tomorrow, hint, hint, he won't be because he does not coach at Manchester City or Liverpool. But, you know, here's, here's to hoping. Here's to hoping indeed. And lots of clamoring right now for, um, for Thomas Frank to and actually take on the award. I've been reading a lot of that in the press today. Sure. I'd love that. Anybody besides yep. Pep and Jurgen. Yep. I think Klopp's going to win it. be my, my bet um, just because of the quadruple hopes, I think, and the fact that they're going to be um, competing in the Champions League final as well. Yeah, the triple. The triple hopes at this point. Well, it was the quadruple hopes, but I think you know, a lot. the voting happened and was closed while they still had an opportunity for the quadruple. Oh, I, know really? this okay. I, vo I, voted, I voted for Eddie Howe about three times with different emails. There you go. Smart man. Smart, resourceful man. <laughs> I try. I don't think it's going to make a difference. Um, but, there, but there you go. There it is. I did my part. I did my part. All right. Well, until our next pod, and I'm not sure exactly when it will be because we're both going on vacations at, at different times. Adam. Footy. Peace.